The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, Maître Linda Hammerschmidt will join us to answer all of your family law questions. We'll talk about judgments regarding COVID and custody and this issue that was just talked about on the news about youth protection, supervised access now suspended, so parents not having contact with uh, their kids who are in uh, in care. We'll talk about all of that, plus whatever questions you want to throw her way. So get them in early so you can get them answered at 514-800. But first... Calling's not the only way to connect. The inbox is easy and always open at 514-800. You can also email me to laurie at drlaurie.com. All right, let's start it off with uh, some questions from our listeners in the last couple of days. Um, Long-time listeners here, Mrs. went into early menopause a few years ago. Things were okay until she broke her ankle early March. Being the prime caregiver, and I work from home 40 hours a week, well, being intimate has been extremely limited, actually non-existent. The mister is tired and also worried to find a position that works for both of us. COVID has also put a strain. Anything you can suggest? Sign Mr. and Mrs. Forrest Gump. <laughs> okay, well, this is from the mister uh, who, um, okay, like if we're looking at just simply the killers of desire, uh, fatigue is a big one. So if you are exhausted at the end of a day because you've worked your 40 hours and you're caregiving and you're doing everything around the house and blah, blah, well, uh, of course, it's going to take its toll and it could very well be that sex is not the thing that's on your mind, but rather getting some uh, getting some sleep. So I totally get that. The uh, and the strain of COVID just and it's not just it's not COVID itself. It's the the just the strain, the stress, the isolation, the uh, the worries, the um, not knowing what's happening tomorrow or the next day, and and all of this is putting a stress on our psyches, of course, for for many many of us, and that is also a killer of desire. Uh, plus, you sound like a really caring guy who's looking for positions that work because you don't want to hurt your wife, so she's the one also who has to let you know what works and what doesn't work. Right now, it's only been since March. It's not the end of the world. Nobody's going to die from lack of sex. Um, but staying connected is important. So finding ways, even if you're too tired for sex or you can't, you can't function sexually, that doesn't mean you can't be intimate. And being intimate means the cuddling, even naked cuddling, uh, just feeling skin on skin contact. That is enough to get the oxytocin going, the bonding hormones going. Uh, so all of that is uh, is really good. And, you know, things will get back to, to normal. First of all, this will lift like covid Hopefully, will not be around for 
you know, years and years, but nonetheless, like this situation that we're in now in terms of isolation is not going to last forever and her, her uh, ankle will heal. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a question of not losing, not losing that contact together, not losing the intimacy and the connection. So that to me is far more important than, uh, the sexuality. And, you know, as, as people get into older age, middle age, older age, after menopause, you have to start sometimes redefining sexuality. It may not be exactly the way it was in your earlier years, but anything you do that involves uh, your nudity, your touching, anything like that is part of sexuality. So it's a way of redefining what sex is, not just about intercourse. There are far more things people can do than just having intercourse that are very pleasurable. It, It doesn't mean you need to It doesn't have to have the goal of an orgasm either. It can be very pleasurable and connecting without ever having that, uh, that orgasm. So some, some things to think about for you. All right, here's another one. It's a little lengthy, but I will share it. Uh, I listened to your show last night and I have to tell you, virtual dating is for the most part a waste of valuable time. I don't know how many people agree with that. I have been on a few dating sites and have Skyped on occasion, refusing to give out my cell to a stranger. That's a good move. You should not be giving out your cell. Uh, I have talked to many very nice men who start out as gentlemen, but at first chance they will turn any comment into something sexual. There are three uh, men that caught my interest, but listening to your show, I thought I would do a little experiment. I created three new profiles on three different sites, used a photo of an attractive woman I found on the internet, and engaged in conversations with these three men. The first few questions were answered with somewhat the same honesty as my real profile, but when I asked if they have been talking to anyone they found interesting, all three said no. We exchanged messages for over an hour with each man, and they went on to tell me that I was the only sane one they spoke to so far. I can only assume the real me is not sane, haha. I caught all three in multiple lies of all kinds. One particular who led our messaging to sex outright asked me if I wanted to have phone sex via FaceTime or Zoom. During all this, I'm getting messages from others, which I was replying to, but all looking for just one thing. In my history of app or date site dating, there is only one surefire way to filter out the garbage is to do what I did, and even then, what is left is questionable. I'm sure there are truly sincere men looking for a real relationship, but I do not dare to estimate the percentage, but I'm sure it's under 8%, regardless of whatever studies are done. Married men, men in relationships, young teenagers wanting a MILF, and even a few bi women whom, I may add, can hold a conversation better than most men. Maybe I should try switching teams for a while. At least I know what I'm getting. Honesty, if nothing else. Joking, that lifestyle is not for me. Regardless of current circumstances, meeting real people in real time, in a real setting, exchanging thoughts and ideas, and looking in their eyes is the best and only way, but still being cautious. 
We teach our teenage daughters about sex, relationships, and being careful, but we do not practice what we preach. If I burst any bubbles or hopes, it was not my intent. Most of us did just fine before internet dating sites, and we can do just fine without it now. In all fairness, many relationships started from dating sites, and some are happily married today. They are the exception, not the standard. So, of course, you're going to hear as many horror stories as success stories. And uh, I suppose, yes, it's a crapshoot to it to some degree. And you have to do your due diligence. Doing a little research on the person is not a bad idea. Um, I think that's what I would do. But, uh, but yes, I, I totally hear your frustration. Coming up, Maître Linda Hammerschmidt will answer your questions, uh, especially concerning uh, the situation we're in now and custody issues, court issues, youth protection issues, all of these things she can answer. That's coming up next. With Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Always excited to have Metro Linda Hammerschmidt in with us. I was going to say in studio, but clearly not. Um, missing your face. I am there, Lori. <laughs> You're in the studio? Yes. Are you really? In my mind. Oh, in your mind. <laughs> Because I'm not there, okay. <laughs> I get to well, be. I, I see dead people. So yeah. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Why does that not surprise me? Um, <laughs> Metta Linda Hammerschmidt is here to answer your questions. She's a family law attorney, and uh, well, and has been on CJD. I think. Are you on daily now? With uh, no, no, no. Advice? Once okay. a week on Wednesdays. Okay, so with, with, Aaron, with Rand. Aaron Rand, yes, answering people's questions there too, and I'm sure you're getting. A whole bunch of them. So uh, last we spoke, it was more or less the beginning, and people were starting to ask all these questions about custody and how we were going to split all this up. I imagine there have been uh, judgments or court. I don't know. Are, are the courts still open for this kind of thing, or what's going on? The courts are suspended, generally speaking. However, if one can establish uh, enough urgency. Uh, in a situation, then you they can present motions uh, in a in a way that's been set out by the court. You, it's not a question of going to the courthouse; it's filing a motion, sending it to a judge to sign on any given day or week. They they go through it. You don't even give a date of when normally, like we would have a date on our motion that says we're going to present it right. in such room at such date. You don't do that right now. You send it to the judge. They they look through whatever they're getting on, and they fix the date and, and through phone calls and whatever. Sometimes even hearings have been held by phone oh, okay. uh, with the lawyers, and uh, there are some, including in the court of appeal level, that they're having uh, trials, shall we say, hearings uh, by video conference or other technological means. However, uh, it's uh, in a, done in a way that. You can't have, like, 30 witnesses, and mm-hmm. it can't be long-term cases. These are short uh, and judged as urgent in and of themselves, the matters that are being treated. Right. Interestingly, there have been several cases, both here in Quebec and in Ontario, but all dealing mostly with 
custody and some with money, certainly about uh, whether or not uh, whatever party took the proceeding uh, has uh, passed the test of urgency. And uh, in one of these particular cases in Ontario that was uh, rendered on the Let's see, the 17th, I believe, of this month, which is ending today, uh, the test, the court's adoption of the test of urgency in this time of pandemic requires all participants in the judicial system, judges, lawyers, spouses, parents, to shoulder greater responsibility than they usually are required to assume in family litigation. They must assume this mantle of responsibility in order to ensure that the most urgent cases can continue Mm. to be adjudicated by the court in these days. And right now, families need more cooperation and less litigation. And this particular passage is being quoted in just about every other case that is coming out as this is what you have to do. Now, interestingly enough, in another uh, Ontario case, uh, by the name of Tessier versus Rick, because in Ontario they don't hide the names mm-hmm. yet or still. Anyway, and, uh, and uh, interestingly, I'll tell you what hasn't been judged to be urgent. Obviously, when parties go to court and they take a proceeding, for them, whatever they're trying yeah. to have dealt with, they feel is urgent. Right. However, in this particular pandemic situation in which we find ourselves, the courts are not as uh, liberal-minded, shall we say. So, for example, uh, there was one issue where the uh, the parent uh, was withholding access, and I think we even talked about this ourselves last month, but it was just, as you said, starting. Right. And uh, because, you know, you're afraid that uh, the, the other parent either isn't doing social distancing or... They're not paying attention to the hygiene or for whatever reason. Right. And um, uh, it's been stated that withholding access, particularly over a short period, such as one or two or three weeks, while annoying to the party who's not seeing their children, obviously, Mm -hmm. does not meet the threshold of urgency. However, in this particular case, the uh, mother uh, was going to deny the father uh, access until this crisis is over. Right. And nobody knows when that's when going to be. Right, exactly. Yeah. So in that particular instance, the court felt that there was urgency, and they set a uh, trial date or a hearing uh, to deal with just that matter. But in the same proceedings that were being asked for, because it was the father that presented it, since his access is being denied, he also wanted to have an order for makeup access that he lost. The, ju- the judge felt that that was not an urgent issue at the moment. You mm-hmm. can always make it up someday down the road. He also wanted the mother to be posting photos of the children that he considered to be inappropriate. The court said, no, nope, that's not urgent. Ah. Uh, <clears throat> and the uh, father also wanted uh, uh, an order that uh, the police uh, were empowered to enforce the access that he should have, and that was judged to be not urgent. Okay. So uh, that that's pretty clear uh, and precise that uh, those kind of things, uh, really it has to be something very 
urgent. Well, it, yeah, <laughs> Valid. It's urgent. it has to be serious. Right. Extremely serious. Not just serious. It has to be extremely serious. Right. Such as, in that particular case, the mother was denying access in a, in a Quebec judgment uh, that was rendered in, on the 14th of this month, April. Uh, the, the issue that the court retained, among other things, was that a parent cannot unilaterally make justice for themselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, if there's a consent in place or a, a judgment that the parties agree to a certain mode of how access is, and custody is going to be uh, worked out between them, and then this happens, COVID, uh, and the person says, well, you know, I, I don't know when I'm going to get to court, but no, you can't see the children. That's not going to work. Right. And I said that a month ago. Right. <laughs> Yes, you did. And I've been vindicated. Yes. Yay. Of course you've been vindicated because you're always right. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, 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 a, it's a burden I've learned to live with over the oh, decades. I feel so bad for you. Uh, I love what this text wrote. Dr. Lori, I don't have children or a wife, but I always love listening to you and the majestic Linda. It's like a Canadian Judge Judy, but on the radio. You're way better than Judge Judy. <laughs> well, I think I'm at least cuter. Definitely cuter. <laughs> Although it's being, it's, it's being, you know, not useful on the radio, but, you know, maybe we'll have to do something about that and go viral like everything else. Yeah, Because yeah. what's interesting from... You know, many people are adapting and going to continue to adapt uh, our living, our way of living for the future, since we don't know if a second wave will come or whatever, but uh, there's more and more uh, memos and suggestions coming from both the government, I guess, and the bench themselves Mm -hmm. that uh, video conferencing and Skyping and phone call hearings maybe the way of the future for short issues yeah, to be yeah. decided. And especially sometimes, you know, there's people that uh, the the lawyers have to go, they're from Montreal, and they have to go to Shawin again or something. And, you know, and that costs parties money. So Absolutely. in a sense, this would reduce it. But, but the other problem that I brought up at a few conferences uh, that we've been following uh, uh, by the bar uh, as a result of the, <laughs> we can't go anywhere, so you might as well sit and learn, learn. something <laughs> on, on, our, on our devices, uh-huh. is that uh, the level to go to a court of appeal has always been that they won't intervene and overturn the appreciation of facts by a judge unless they're so egregiously misinterpreted and misapplied that they feel they have to. But otherwise, even if the judgment seems wrong to the rest of us, uh, they won't intervene. Mm-hmm. That's great when the parties and the witnesses are visually in front of a judge who can measure the credibility of what's coming out of their mouth. Oh, right. Reading it on paper, right. or just having your lawyer say it, and, you know, and... You Not the write, same. You can, you can write the Shakespeare, Cyrano de Bergerac on a piece of paper, but, but if a person opens their mouth, sometimes more truth comes out right. the way they say things right. than the way you write it. Because basically, who's writing it but the lawyer, not the, the not parent the, that's involved. Exactly. And then you don't get to question, well, you, you don't, you know, if you know how to get the truth out or if you feel you have a way to, you don't get that opportunity if it's just well, by you writing don't get back it the and same forth. Way, just like you might have documents in this new system, all the documents would have to be disclosed 
uh, you know, exhibits and all of that well before a regular hearing. But you can have pieces of evidence that come up, you know, a bank only shows up normally with a subpoena on the day of the trial. You don't get to see necessarily right. that kind of information. Right. So, so then how are you supposed to question anybody on it if right. you can't present it to the court because you didn't present it before the case? So there's a lot of problems that are going to be have to be worked out, and, and uh, I'm not looking forward to it. Oh, I, I'm sure not. It's a whole new way of doing things, just like in, in many businesses. It's a whole new way of doing doing business. Uh, Lin, Maître Linda Hammerschmidt is with us. If you have any questions for her about family law, especially during these times, we'd love you to call in. I also want to talk about the um, the case with the youth protection and supervised access and not allowing parents to have any more physical access to kids who are in care. We'll talk about that and see what uh, Maître Hammerschmidt has to say about that, plus another judgment that was made in terms of paternity that we can talk oh, about as well. that's a very interesting well. case. So. We'll talk about that coming up. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Relationships and the law. Once a month, Metro Linda Hammerschmidt joins us to answer your family law questions. I think we've been, what, about a decade now, Linda, doing it together? Maybe more? It seems, <laughs> seems less because the time passes so wonderfully with you. Oh, aren't you a sweetheart? <laughs> well, it's been a while, but uh, you've been very helpful to many of our listeners. So thank you on behalf of them. Actually, uh, the pleasure is all mine. Oh, that's wonderful. So let's talk about this um, this case. I was reading it, and I thought, well, this is interesting. So you have like a triangle, uh, a woman who's married or has a partner who she puts as the the father of her child. Yeah, we, call, we call him the listed father okay. as opposed to the biological right. father. The listed father, but she actually got pregnant with some other guy that she, I don't know, was having an affair with or something, who's the bio Correct. father. And mm-hmm. now the bio father got wind of it. Like how? So it all no, he came didn't, to he light. He didn't just get wind of it. He knew the next day because secretly she had him to come over to, to visit with the child. Uh, uh-huh. In the hospital, uh-huh. and that, that there's the problem as far as the law is concerned, because there's a delay in the civil code that you have one year to contest the affiliation that's on the birth certificate uh, uh, from the date, obviously, of the that it's done. And if you weren't aware of the birth, then that year runs from when you become aware. However, okay. he was aware on like day two. Okay. And he did it, and he, and then the other listed father, you know, acted as the father of this child. Knowing, did the listed father no, know? He did. He didn't know right at the beginning. Okay. Because that's why they ended up separating when he found out that uh, she, she was having an it affair. Was discovered <laughs> a, a few months after the child was born. Okay. So they broke up, and they came to an agreement about how to share custody of the child. 22 months after the birth of the child, the listed father found out he wasn't, you know, he, first of all, he found out there was an affair, but he didn't realize that the affair resulted in, in the baby, baby that he thinks is his. Right. So 22 months after that, he, he finds out that he's not the biological dad. 
but he continued to act as the father to his son in any event. Meanwhile, the other one filed an application uh, to become listed on the birth certificate, and the judgment in the first instance and in the Court of Appeal says no. <laughs> she like, you know, the horse left the barn and the door is shut and you're too late kind of a thing. Right. However, luckily in this particular case, they do allow for the biological father to have a relationship with the child. Okay. That doesn't always happen. Okay. In this case, it happened. They allowed, they yes, allowed this. And, okay. and that's good for the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so but, it, but it raises an interesting point. So if you're fathering or mothering, well, obviously the mother always knows when something's popping up. Right. But if the father <laughs> finds out down the road that he's actually the father of some child and you want to do something about it, the clock starts ticking from the day you know. Okay, so that's uh, that's good to know. Uh, here's a question. It's a little, uh, it's an interesting, uh, maybe philosophical question here. Um, is in the court system there is an obvious gender bias at the family court level? What would it take to create a grassroots movement towards positive change in the court system? So, can you address that? First of all, it's not a given that there's a bias okay. per se. Only people who haven't had a great judgment consider there to be a bias. Because okay. there's a bias against women financially, it can be a bias against men for, for access or custody. So, you know, everybody's biased by somebody because there's always one loser in a case. Right. You don't see, look, because there was a time, though, yes, let's be real, right, where, where women were given, it was almost like a given that if you were the mom, that was, yep. Yep. okay, that has changed. Pretty much, because fathers, by and large, not everybody, but by and large, are more involved with the children than they were, let's say, in the 50s and 60s and the 70s when, you know, Mother stayed home, like uh, right. June <coughs> father knows mm-hmm. best situation, and right. he goes out to work, and she takes care of everything, and so that was, you know, made sense. Uh, but now, when both parents are working, uh, you know, doesn't lend itself to only one parent uh, being uh, the custodian, and in any event, the right of the child is to have both parents in its life, right, for right. their proper development, right. So that's why I've always said children aren't sofas. You you know, you don't get to, uh, it's my sofa, and you can't have any access. You can't sit on it. Right. I love what this person wrote. Metta Linda Hammersmith is awesome. I hate legal stuff, and so deliberately I know as little as possible about the subject, but I always enjoy listening to her clarity, humor, and educational skills when she's on the show. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. But, you know, in a a way... (laughs) If people knew as much about the law as supposedly lawyers do, well, then there'd be no reason for lawyers. Yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> You're quite right. I wouldn't need you. Which, uh, after all these decades, that doesn't bother me at all anymore. Yeah, right. Yes. Uh, you, you know, I always say, I don't know how you do it, because you see the, you know, it's like getting into the boxing ring and trying to, you know, keep people, <laughs> like, calm or figure something out when everybody's punching over you, you know, like it, it just seems like a very well, it's stressful situation. That during this COVID period, as I was saying, I've been following some courses. One of them was how to deal with difficult personalities. 
Oh. <laughs> it doesn't just provide, obviously, family cases. It could be, right. say, you could have a difficult client uh, doing a uh, merger, uh, a construction right. It doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but the other thing that I find interesting that, you, uh, that comes to mind since you just brought up how do you do it is <clears throat> the last several days I've been going through on Netflix the cold case file. Oh, yeah. Program. Yeah. And uh, there's no money enough in the world to pay either nurses, orderlies, doctors, morticians, uh, forensic people, and the police that have to the stuff that people do to each other. It's horrible. Disgusting. Yeah. And and the toll that it takes on, for example, the cops. So when you say it takes a toll, yeah, but at least I'm not coming into a room and picking out, you know, into a river stream where somebody's been there for months right. and try to get them out of the water and it's, they don't all come out, you know. But, you know, everything, everything's relative, right? It's yeah, like, so uh, yeah. I, I, I obviously have been affected in many of the cases that I have. One of the first, the first custody case that I had, I was six months into my practice, my FAGE, uh-huh. and I was at a custody case where, unfortunately, the woman had moved. To, I didn't know her before this all happened. She'd gotten divorced, and then she surreptitiously moved from just outside of Montreal to Vancouver without telling the father. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> and that was back in a day where uh, that was really far frowned upon, so they took proceedings against her, and I ended up there, and, and after all day being there, whatever, the judge basically uh, gave custody to the father if the mother refused to move back here. So sort of like, hmm. you know, it was a lose-win situation. Right. But, but that case, I actually cried all the way home. You know, when you see in the movies where somebody turns on the windshield white yes. and it's not raining out, yes. that's exactly the way I felt. It was yeah. terrible. That stayed with me. The water left you know, set. People. One thing people don't don't see, and I know, and I know you quite well. You know, you're a tough cookie, and I wouldn't want to be against you in court. But you have a heart of gold, and that and that uh, shines through, just like you just said right now. Uh, coming up, I want to talk about uh, that youth protection case that I just heard about on the news, and thought we'll get some of your uh, thoughts on that as well. That's coming up after. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Tonight, Metro Linda Hammerschmidt uh, joins me for our uh, relationships and the law once a month. As she is here to answer your questions. So we were talking about that gender bias before. So this texter writes in, uh, the bias against fathers has not changed. I've been fighting for years, and all I get is three hours of supervised visits once a month and 30 minutes of FaceTime. I've had lawyers tell me this is why they would never have kids. I've had lawyers tell me that parents who are convicted of child abuse have more access than I do. My ex has all the control and abuses it. Unless you have money, the legal fight ruins you. There was a time it hurt so much that I struggled with thoughts of ending my life. 
which you can't share because that goes on records and hurts your chance of custody. I'm fine now, by the way, and don't have those thoughts, but access has not changed. My little boy is six years old. It's been like this since he was two and a half. Sad situation, but of course we don't and have the whole story. And there are many in courts yeah. that, you know, people end up always on a losing side, as I said before, even though... <clears throat> Hopefully, family law, if you can resolve things between yourselves, it's always better than one going, becoming victorious, because Mm -hmm. especially in cases like the one that the listener just wrote about. uh, The the loser is the kid. The other side is empowered to continue on this path. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this person is speaking about their own case. You can't blanketly say that nothing's changed and that there's no bias completely out there. Right. I mean, way back when, I got a father to have uh, four-day weekends with a six-month-old child while the mother was saying he can't have access because she's breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And I got a judge to, you know, say... Accept, right. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> right, and that was many years ago, so there pump, you go. Pump the milk, madam. Yeah, that's true, pump the milk. Um, so did you hear about that, that case? I heard it on the news just to, tonight, and I thought, I don't know if you had heard it, but... Um, you know, when kids are, are put in the protective custody of, of youth protection, the, uh, the biological parents usually have supervised access to these children, right? They go to a center, wherever they get to see them. And now, um, what, from what, what I understand, What do you mean by half the, per- who's the person providing the access? Well, I guess, I don't, I, mean, I, I don't know how it works. mean, one still has custody, and, but the case is in youth court, and so they I, have to come to, uh, uh, modalities of how the contact will remain pending the case? Well, what I understood was that, let's just say the kids are taken out of the custody of both parents. Maybe the parents yep. are still together, I don't know. But that, and they would have access to these kids in a supervisory way, right? Which in youth protection, that's the way it's usually done. And yep. now and now they're saying, the, the director of youth protection, from what I understood, from what was said in the news was that they are not allowing any more physical contact with uh, their kids during this time. So I'm just wondering what's going on with that. Obviously, that's a particular situation in a particular case, as all cases should be judged. Uh, There is, you know, that's a problem in, in family files is people read about a case and they assume, that that's what's going to happen in their case, and that's not necessarily true because the facts of one case are not the facts of another case. So right. if youth protection is not allowing either parent to have access to their children and child at this point in time, that to be very good reason. Because of COVID? Well, because of COVID, maybe, or because maybe, I mean, I haven't seen this particular case. I have a case in front of me, right, actually, that with youth court involved, and uh, but uh, in which the judge said simple apprehensions, uh, in theory, do not justify a modification of access rights, and that was about uh, somebody who was training or hindering the access to the other parent because they didn't. They didn't believe that the person was social distancing, as I said earlier ah, in the program. Okay. okay. So uh, you know, and and again, that's also I mentioned that uh, you can't unilaterally uh, take the children away. Now, Superior Court is the appeal section for youth court. So okay. what one or the other, or both parents end up doing. Uh, I'm sure the case is long from not over. 
Right. Okay, now here's another situation that's a current situation. So you know May 19th, uh, they said kids uh, can go back to school, but it's uh, voluntary. Allegedly. Okay, allegedly, so far. Um, elementary and, school kids. And that's kids. only elementary, yeah. Right. So what happens, I'm just thinking, if you have a situation where you have parents who have 50-50 custody, so one week, one week, one parent wants to send the kids to school and the other parent does not want to send the kids to school. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, that might be a, a case where uh, a court... Uh, will schedule uh, some sort of a hearing based on urgency. Okay, so would you would consider that because to be more urgent? Because if the government is saying you can send your children back, but they're not making it mandatory, and you have joint custody, the only uh, recourse when parents who have joint custody don't agree on how they should uh, uh, work out the uh, parents' parental authority. You have to go to a courtroom or <laughs> a video mm-hmm. room or wherever. Right. So you think that in this situation, because the government is making that recommendation, that that would be considered urgent at this time? Sorry, the government's making a recommendation right. Right. that you can go back to school. Right. And supposedly the schools are uh, being set up so that there is uh, distancing. And the reason they're not sending CJEP and high school people and whatever is because there would be too many issues with bus transportation. Right. So, but, but let's try to remember that throughout this, the children of all those blessed uh, health workers and essential providers have been putting their children in daycare. Right, right. And the, the COVID rate of children is, you know, Pretty Small. much next to nil. Right, right. I now, get. Now the other argument is yes, but they could carry it back from whoever right. and uh, give it to argument. somebody and so on and so forth. You know, at one point or another, you're going to have to say bite the bullet, somewhat like Premier Legault said weeks ago. You know, and like some of the Scandinavian uh, countries have been doing is herd immunity. Mm-hmm. So you know, one way or another, this thing will work itself out. But you can't keep the children not learning anything for the next two years. Right. I think that's the reality, is that if this goes on for two years, how do we, we have to find a way back. So just want this last, last thing on a lighter note. This person wants to know, and I, I love this question. Uh, my question for Linda is, do lawyers tell lawyer jokes among their peers? <laughs> I don't really tell them, but God knows I get a lot of them sent to me. Oh, I'm sure. Do you get them sent by colleagues? Uh, you know, sometimes when it's, you know, a cartoon or something like this. But, you know, uh, I don't by and large like it. I'm sure doctors wouldn't like it if all they ever got were jokes about malpractice yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever like this. But, you know, take it in stride. Sometimes they're actually funny. Yes. So that's okay. But, uh, you know, there's enough. Real humor in practicing law with some of the clients we get oh, in the court system. <laughs> I don't need people sending me more jokes Yeah, about uh, that. Uh, I'm quite sure. Well, I'm glad to see that you are staying safe, working remotely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Taking care of your... Actually, I, I, I'm 
going to be submitting to Westmount Mag uh, an article because everybody who writes at the moment in the papers about how, you know, terrible with the isolation and here's what you should do and let's have a viral uh, cocktail party and so mm-hmm. forth. Mine is the anomaly of loving self-isolation because I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> I'm I'm like you. I'm actually enjoying it also. It's not so bad. Do what I want, when I want, how I want. <laughs> nobody's telling me anything and nobody's bothering me with emails or even jokes. Love it. <laughs> Just <laughs> you and your you and your Mac. I love it. Me and Mac. He's right you here and Mac. Me. Yeah. Yep. Linda, love you. Uh, we will uh, speak again in a month. Maybe yep, we'll 20, see each other. 28th of May. Yeah. Maybe we'll see each other, but we'll see. Nonetheless, always no, a pleasure. We can always stand on sidewalks and, you know, have the show outside. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Each other. Oh, sure. Thank you so much, Linda. Stay My safe. Pleasure. All right. Stay, thank well. you. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you all for your questions and for listening. Thank you to Nicole, our technical producer tonight. If you want to connect with me on social media, you can do that at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com, where you can also send your questions, your sex, love, and relationship questions. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion.